Hello you, I'm Sarah-Jane Crawford and a really warm welcome to a womb of one's own. We've worked really hard on this so it feels good to say that, I'm not going to lie. Now I hope you're well wherever you are, whatever you're doing and of course whenever you're listening to this, thank you so much. So I'm Sarah-Jane, I'm a presenter and a broadcaster and I've just had my first child which I can't believe, my little bubba called Summer, Summer Jane. And this is a podcast that I co-created with my producer, Clarissa Pabby. And basically it's a podcast that's all about women's lives, our bodies and how they work for us as we work to have it all. And let's be honest, that's what many of us want. Now, there are lots of incredible podcasts and books aimed at women. Of course there are. They're about having ambition, goals, careers and success. All the things that women should have if they want them. And this is a podcast about honouring those things. We'll be hearing from amazing, I promise you, high profile women about their experiences of having success and their experiences also of having challenges and what they've learned from all of that. But it's also a podcast about how different women have engaged with their health and their fertility throughout all of it, which to be honest, Clarissa and I feel we never really hear about. A Womb of One's Own is a podcast that I really hope shows us by getting rid of the taboos and by understanding our health, our bodies, our periods if we have them, our fertility and our options, we can be in the driving seat of our own lives. That's the goal. When we talk about wombs, by the way, on this podcast, we mean womb as both a real thing and a metaphor. As we, of course, know that there's more to being a woman than your ability to have a baby and that everyone's journey is different. This is ultimately a podcast that we want to be intersectional so that everyone can feel like they're a part of this conversation. And that includes you listening right now. I also wanted to share my story with you and tell you why I'm personally so passionate about this conversation and the conversations that we're going to be having on this podcast. My story starts in my 20s. I was always somebody who was really nervous about getting pregnant. I was always really, really obsessed with the idea of using contraception and very soon decided to get the injection. I had a handful of quite long-term relationships in my 20s and so generally was on contraception for my entire 20s. My 20s was a really important decade for me as well because it was the decade that I began to work on the career of my dreams in TV and radio when I was about 25 years old. So certainly everything leading up to that was all about ways in which I could become as employable as possible in the entertainment industry. And I think most definitely, had I have gotten pregnant, I would have been worried that it may have affected how employable I really was. Of course, now I look back and think, hmm, but is that true? I was certainly a very ambitious woman. I still am. But most definitely, my career was the main thing that mattered. I used to suffer with really painful periods and I was diagnosed with endometriosis, For those people that don't know, endometriosis is quite a painful condition and it means that the blood that would normally flow um, out of your body during a menstrual cycle can sometimes pop up in different parts of your reproductive system. I'm not explaining that like a doctor, but for those who do know what it is, they understand how debilitating it can be. It meant that I had to have quite a lot of days off work. It meant that I really struggled and was trying, you know, lots of different ways to alleviate the pain from um, hot water bottles to painkillers to lying in bed to eating chocolate, probably. Um, I had a laparoscopy or two, actually, which is um, a keyhole surgery procedure designed to remove some of the endometriosis and the symptoms of it. 
but as anyone with endometriosis knows it's you know it's only really a temporary fix and that's not to say that the the treatment and the surgery is pointless that's just to say that unfortunately endometriosis is something that can't necessarily be altogether cured also the method of contraception that I was using at the time was the injection and the reason that I opted for that was because I wasn't somebody that thought that I could remember to take the pill every day and I also knew that it meant I wouldn't have any periods. So fast forward to 2015 and I had another procedure, this time a myomectomy which is open surgery to remove fibroids and fibroids are benign tumours that can occur in and around the womb area. My situation was pretty bad. I could feel the fibroids um, by pressing my tummy. They were quite large. Um, And it felt like there was kind of like a tennis ball or something inside. And this was quite an intense time for me. I'd just finished recording The X Factor. I'd been working on that through the kind of second half of 2014. And then the procedure was in January of 2015. I don't think it was probably the best time to have surgery, you know, work really hard and then suddenly go straight into hospital. But I'd kind of been putting it off because I had so much on. And for me personally, I really felt nervous about ever admitting that I was going through anything. Now, I don't know if anyone can relate. Many women, many people, in fact, are so busy focused on their ambitions, their goals, their careers. We often put health on the back burner, let's not lie. I know that's what I did. Just before I recorded The X Factor, I had a breast lump removed, for example, and I certainly never shared that with anyone until I'd secured the TV job because I didn't want to um, be seen as somebody who had loads of issues. And I'm sure the network wouldn't have thought that, but I definitely suffered in silence on a lot of different issues around my health. I remember I didn't share with anyone that I'd had that breast lump removed. I thought maybe people would see me as broken or somebody that was going to be in and out of hospital. I just really didn't want to share it. I really hope that now, when it comes to especially breast lumps, people are just way more open about what they're going through. And I really hope that people don't feel as if it's going to mean they lose out on work or get replaced or be considered as somebody who is damaged goods. I suppose it's even harder when you haven't secured a job yet if you're then going to share that kind of information. And I think as women, we worry about everything. We worry about being honest, about wanting to be mums, because then does that mean the employer is going to see you as someone that's going to instantly need maternity leave or disappear off? Everything is code and undercover and secretive because we're there trying to strategically navigate through our careers. So with regards to the myomectomy, it was open surgery, quite traumatic really. And I remember on the day of the procedure lying there in Parkside Hospital in Wimbledon and Professor Manyonda, who's a a really revered fibroid expert who I'd decided to go to, he said to me, you know, this is open surgery, don't you? It's going to be us uh, making a horizontal incision across your abdomen. And uh, for some reason back then I had missed that. (laughs) And I really thought it was going to be a laparoscopy, you know, i.e. keyhole surgery going in through my belly button, as had been the case before. But no, it wasn't. I'm a lot different now. I I think I always do my research and I'm pretty clear about every single detail of everything that I may or may not go through on a medical level. Um, Certainly was the case for the C-section that I had with Summer 
in the summer of 2020. But for some reason, maybe it was the fact that I'd just returned from a holiday. We just wrapped on filming The X Factor. I wasn't really very focused on what was happening to me. Um, I was eating meat. I was drinking alcohol. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But for me, it just reminds me of a different era for me health wise. And I certainly wasn't as focused on things that I could do for myself and my well-being. Certainly leading up to the procedure, I had tried a whole host of things to get rid of these fibroids in a bit more of a natural way. I'd researched various supplements and enzymes and things that I thought could um, dissolve the fibroids. But I'd been advised by Professor Manionda that, you know what, these are so big, you really should just remove them. But the things that he said to me after the procedure had concluded really changed my life forever. He sat down with me um, post-op and said to me, the procedure went really well, but you have endometriosis and you have fibroids. I'm like, well, I don't. You've just removed them. And he said, well, no, fibroids can always return. This is not a permanent solution. This is a temporary fix. Uh, He said, and with that in mind, you have two pathologies, endometriosis, fibroids, and as such, you have a window of opportunity That's exactly the way he phrased it. I'll never forget that. He said, you might have five good years where you don't have any fibroids, but then potentially they could come back. So with that in mind, you should start thinking about having children really quickly. So I was in my early 30s at the time, still in my 30s now, but this was at the beginning of that wonderful decade. And I was like, wow, like when when should I start doing that then? And I remember thinking that he would answer with something along the lines of, oh, you know, in a year or two, just don't leave it too long. And he was like, six months time, you know, you, you've you got like three months and maybe two or three periods um, to have and you want to recover. He said, to be safe, six months. And I was like, wow, this guy is really thinking about, okay, when you have recovered, crack on, <laughs> if you pardon the expression crack on with fertilizing those eggs basically and at the time I was coming to the end of quite a long-term relationship that we both knew wasn't really going anywhere Um, and I I remember speaking to him almost like a friend and saying Professor Manyonda I don't think I'm even in the right relationship and he said to me breaking out of his whole consultant monologue taking off that hat and he said to me well, maybe you need to end this relationship and really think about who the right person is because you need to get a move on. And I thought, wow. And it really hit me like a ton of bricks. From that day on, I was very conscious of my fertility and I was very aware that the clock was ticking. And up until that point, it hadn't really been such an issue. I was obviously aware that I had endometriosis and then fibroids. And so I knew that it might create issues for me because I'd done enough Googling to know that endometriosis can impact on fertility. The same with fibroids. But I just had never really considered that I was now going to be against the clock. It's really funny because as women over the years, we've become so independent financially. Um, We have access to the best education, many of us. We can vote, we can now do whatever we want to do. We run countries, we have degrees, we have incredible careers. Um, We're mothers, we're workers, we're entrepreneurs, we're scientists. I mean, one woman just created a vaccine with her partner um, for COVID. So we can do everything. But as much as we'd like to tell ourselves and our fellow 
women and sisters that we have all the time in the world, we have to tell ourselves the truth. One thing that hasn't caught up with us, if we want to conceive naturally, is our bodies. It's interesting that, isn't it? If you're a woman or a person that wants to conceive naturally, there's a specific finite amount of time that you usually have. And there are other options if you're not sure if you want to have children or you can't or you don't want to conceive naturally. But if you do and you're sure you want to have children, then there is a specific amount of time that you have. It's just the way it is. It was kind of like a dose of salts that woke me into reality. It was very sobering to hear him say that, especially because it's then not just about your body. It's also about your romantic life, potentially, or, you know, a decision about whether to go alone and do it alone. From 2015, ironically, if that's the right word, it was five years uh, before I had my first child. And in that time, I went on a bit of a mission, really, um, a couple of relationships passed by that didn't work. And if I'm honest, those relationships in my mind were all about me wanting to become a parent. By 2018, I was feeling really quite exhausted and really disheartened with my journey to becoming a mum. So I decided that I would do it alone. And I set about doing an IVF cycle and I actually froze some embryos. And the way I did that was by getting a donor. And for me, the idea was, you know what, I'm going to become a solo mother by choice. And then I have all the time in the world to meet the one in inverted commas, because that isn't dependent on my fertility. That's just dependent on meeting the right guy. So I thought this is me getting my priorities straight, you know, biology first, love second. And when I met my now fiance and um, the father of summer, Brian, The irony was, was that he was so um, supportive of what I was trying to do. When we were just friends, I said to him, look, you know, this is my plan. I've got these embryos, blah, blah, blah. He even came with me to various appointments where I was preparing to have an embryo transfer done. And then we fell in love. It was crazy. He said to me, you know, I'd like to start a family with you, actually, (laughs) instead of your um, original plan. But it was interesting And the reason why I really feel like he was someone that was going to remain in my life and be quite important to me, and I feel like in a way he has become the one, um, is because I was really honest with him about what I was trying to do. The relationships prior to that were all about me, I think, just focusing on wanting to be a parent and not really thinking about much else. Whereas when I met him, there wasn't a pressure on me to want to get with him for any other reason we were friends and I was like you know what I've already decided I'm going to become a mum in my own right and without the help of anyone else thank you very much was my attitude so when we then got together it was a lot more of a genuine union if that makes sense so we fell pregnant quite quickly but sadly had a miscarriage at seven weeks which was devastating for me because I just thought you know I'm in my late 30s I have these two pathologies as Professor Magnonda had put it and um, am I going to get pregnant again was this my only opportunity but I do remember at the time when I found out that I was pregnant this was May of 2019 I called my mum and I said you know what I don't know what's going to happen from here but I do know I can get pregnant so this is a great sign So after suffering a miscarriage and a loss, I set about really wanting to do everything that I could to optimise my fertility. I did acupuncture. I saw a naturopath. I saw a hypnotherapist. I read books. 
one by an author called Marie Sapir, who is a world-renowned hypnotherapist. And I saw one of her business partners and actually had a couple of sessions. Uh, I threw everything, everything at trying to get pregnant for a second time and 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 having it be successful. I've always thought success is a bit of a funny word because for many of us, we have success if we're career-driven. And this experience of not being successful is one of the first times many of us feel, quote-unquote, like a failure or that we're failing. And no, I don't like that because language is so powerful. I feel like we need to change the way we talk about our bodies and our journey. And in that time, in between sort of suffering from a miscarriage and then finding out I was pregnant again, which was a six-month gap from June when the loss happened to December, finding out I was pregnant with Summer, it just really fueled my passion for becoming as fertile as I could or, or for optimizing my fertility. And not only did it do that, it also made me very aware of this almost underground scene, as I like to describe it, of women who are going through this sometimes very painful and personal journey of trying to conceive. And then on the other side, there are women who may be at the start of their careers or focused on their lives, who are anxious about making a decision or totally oblivious to their options maybe, who aren't even thinking about whether or not they want to have a baby. And no one's really discussing this either. There is a ticking clock. There's so many stories and so many women and so much pain and so much excitement and disappointment and such a roller coaster. I just thought, wow, I really want to open up the conversation and dismiss this whole idea of it being taboo. Also, I wanted to explore the idea of women becoming mothers later on in life, whether it's in the late 30s, early 40s, because It's often the case that we have been looking for the right person or maybe we have put our careers first or perhaps we've been unsure about wanting to become a mum until later on. And it's just interesting because also I feel like there's a generation of us who were also socialised to believe and raised to believe that, you know, you don't have to become a mum at 19 or 20 or even in your early 20s, get your education first, make sure you can afford a child and actually they are your most fertile years. So it's it's an interesting one because there's not necessarily a perfect time to have a baby, but we do need to have honest conversations about our focus on delaying things, how we can best navigate through becoming a mother later on in life. It's important that we talk about periods, contraception, sex, egg freezing, endometriosis, fibroids, maybe IVF, miscarriages, surrogacy, women's health, mental health, the changes that we experience throughout our lives, relationships, let's not forget that one, the one, and so much more. We are going to discuss it all. So fast forward to summer 2020 and hence her name um, and my incredible first child was born. It has been one hell of a journey, not just the journey towards it, but becoming a mother and all of the fallout of the postpartum challenges and lots of therapy and lots of tears, but also incredible joy and euphoria. And I can't wait to speak to other women about their journeys to becoming or not becoming a mother 
there's so many conversations that are really important to be having at the moment, especially at a time where as women, we can have it all, but we need to be honest about it. Not everyone will get to the same destination point and not everyone's journey will be the same and not everybody can and will be able to have children in the same way. But it's important that we create a safe space for us to be able to share honestly about our feelings and about the challenges. And that's an area that myself and my producer, Clarissa, are very passionate about. And we're excited for you to come on this journey with us. So roll on the first series of A Womb of One's Own. Thank you so much for listening. The podcast is launching soon, so please subscribe or follow the podcast wherever you're listening to this right now. It's free as well. And please share this podcast with anyone who you think would be interested in it. And if you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, you should definitely hit subscribe or follow as it means you'll get all our episodes as soon as they launch. And it also helps more people find the podcast as well, which is really our aim as we want to get as many people being part of this conversation as possible. So please share the podcast with one other person if you feel like it. You can subscribe or follow A Womb of One's Own for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Amazon Music Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, you can follow me on Instagram and get in touch at Sarah Jane Crawford, or you can email us in the email in the description box. I want to hear from you. So let me know if you've just listened. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please can you rate the podcast and post your thoughts in the review section on what you want to hear us talk about next and who you'd like us to interview on the podcast as well. A Womb of One's Own is an independent podcast co-created by Sarah Jane Crawford and Clarissa Pabby. The host is me, Sarah Jane Crawford. The producer and executive producer is Clarissa Pabby. Sound design by Clarissa Pabby. Engineering and mixing by Kate McGinn. Artwork by Naomi Jennery. And original music by Iwan Obinyan.